The Midnight Myth Podcast presents The Wheel of Ka, an exploration into the writings of Stephen King. What started as two friends rereading The Dark Tower has turned into an exploration of Stephen King's writing writ large. This episode, we discuss The Talisman. He tipped the bottle up, and the awful cold taste of rotted grapes filled his mouth for the last time. The bottle was empty. As he swallowed, he heard it shatter as one of Morgan's bolts of lightning struck it. But the sound of the breaking glass was faint, the tangle of electricity, even Morgan's screams of rage. He felt as if he were falling over backward into a hole, a grave maybe. Then Wolf's hand squeezed down on Jack so hard that Jack groaned. That feeling of vertigo, of having done a complete dipsy-doodle, began to fade. And then the sunlight faded too and became the sad purplish-gray of an October twilight in the heartland of America. Cold rain struck Jack in the face and he was faintly aware that the water he was standing in seemed much colder than it had only seconds ago. Somewhere not far away he could hear the familiar snoring drone of the big rigs on the interstate, except now that they seemed to be coming from directly overhead. Impossible, he thought. But was it? The bounds of that word seemed to be stretching with plastic ease. For one dizzy moment, he had an image of Flying Territory's trucks driven by Flying Territory's men with big canvas wings strapped to their backs. Back, he thought. Back again, same time, same turnpike. He sneezed. (laughs) Same cold, too. But two things were not the same now. No rest area here. They were standing thigh-deep in the icy water of a stream beneath a turnpike overpass. Wolf was with him. That was the other change. And Wolf was screaming. Hello, travelers on the path of the beam. What is up? Wheel of Ka is back with another episode. Let's go! I am so pumped to be talking (laughs) the talisman. Oh, yeah. You know, it's a little funny. We had gotten to a natural pause point about two weeks ago. Yeah, about that. And we were ready to record. And then life, just life, just said, no, we cannot record. Yeah, I finally sold my house. Congratulations. Thanks, dude. Yeah. I didn't think that was going to happen because this yeah. market's insane. It is a crazy market right now. But yeah, now. that happened and then other things happened. And, but here we are. That's the most important part. Indeed, sir. Here we are. We are here. Well, we put a poll up on Twitter on what the next book should be. And it was overwhelmingly the Stephen King and Peter Straub uh, combination called The Talisman. Mm-hmm. And Steve and I, in my copy... I'm up to page 331, which is almost exactly 50% of the way through the book. It's the end of part two. The book has four parts. Yeah. We just completed part two, the book of trials. By far in the first two parts, the biggest part. A lot of things to talk about today. A lot of things to get into. I'm really excited to dive into this one tonight. Oh, yeah. And I'm really excited to see what you're thinking, what Thoughts you have. Sure. I'll say we're going to spoil the book, obviously. Neither of us have finished the book. No. Or know how it's going to end. At all. So we may get some things from an analysis standpoint horribly wrong. <laughs> I mean, it's Stephen King, so there's going to be some twists and turns. And it's us. And it's us. 
that's a fair point as well. <laughs> you know, Steve, how you feeling, dude? Oh, God, I feel great. I feel great, man. You know, uh, life's a funny thing. I, I heard, I heard a, my wife is a photographer and we were recently at a wedding. I help her. And the groom had said something really interesting. He's like, he, he said in, I believe it was his vows that, um, that time is a relentless arrow. And I was like, wow, that's, that's a really, in, in a weird, cynical way, very poetic. Like it is, it's a relentless, it just keeps going. And I, I, I've, I've tried to fall in love with that, especially being a new parent. You know, I mean, Frankie, Arthur, they're growing up so quickly. And the, to just, I've, I've been working very, very hard on staying in the moment as much as I can. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, a thing I have been reflecting on in my Stephen King journey is the theme of time, especially as it relates to our dark tower and our obsession with the dark tower mm -hmm. and how time can go funny and how the past and present can be colliding memory and reality could be intermingling. This is something that happens in the dark tower. It's something that happens in it. In almost every single story, a character needs to go back into their memory and we get to walk back into those memories with them. It happens in the talisman, giving this sense of like time as not this straight linear thing. And then here you come out saying, man, it is that relentless arrow. <laughs> and as a new parent, I'm like, I feel that so hard. Yeah, and it's funny. I mean, and as an artist too, trying to understand the time is also a construct at the same time of being a relentless arrow. I, I do think that both things exist at the same time. I mean, you can't go backwards, right? And you, you're only going forward. So in that way, you know, just trying to enjoy as much of it and, and even the bad stuff. You know, even the hard stuff. I mean, today is my uh, father-in-law, my who had passed away you know, 12 years ago at this point, or 11 years ago. Uh, it's his birthday. You know, and you, you, get, you, you get moments where there's happiness and sadness and joy and frustration, and it all happens at once. Beautiful, man. You just got to fall in love with it. You just got to fall it's in love with crazy. it. fucking crazy. Amor fate. Fall in love with your fate, everybody. I thought that was beautiful. What about you? I am great, dude. I am absolutely great. I could not be better. And my life is a chaotic mess and I wouldn't trade it for a second. <laughs> and I absolutely love doing Wheel of Ka. And I love doing Midnight Myth. Oh, it does feel good to be back. I, I also should do plugs. So we do the Midnight Myth podcast, which was the, it's me and Laurel. That was the start that led to the Wheel of Ka. Mm -hmm. We still publish the Wheel of Ka in the Midnight Myth feed as a bonus, but it now has its own feed. We, got, we grew up. My, we grew we up grew and got our big boy pants on. <laughs> Laurel let us go. Yeah, She let us get out into the our, wild. We got our big boy, our very own feed. So wherever <laughs> you listen to us is great. Yep. If you want to do it on our own feed, on the Midnight Myth feed, that's totally cool. And then Laurel's podcast, Sleep and Sorcery, is exploding. Oh, it's so good. It's such a good podcast. She just got a book deal. So spring 2024, Laurel will be publishing a Sleep and Story book so go to www.midnightmyth.com, sign up for our newsletter so you can get more updates on this book. Yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty cool. cool. Bury the lead there, Derek. Holy shit. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. That's incredible. Yeah, you didn't know that? Well, I mean, I think I probably read it. So I'm not on social media anymore. You know oh. this. Like I barely, I really, like I, I write on Twitter. Every, and I'm even bad at that. 
you know, but no, that's fucking sweet. Yeah. Sleep and Sorcery is oh, going to become man. a published book. Wow. Yeah. That was a whirlwind. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Well, she put out her submissions. This is not what we came to talk about. And a lot of publishers wanted to work with her. Hell yeah. Right out of the gate. And that's because Laurel is just brilliant. Yeah. I'm not surprised. Knew exactly what publishers would be interested, put together a great presentation. And then here she and I are reading book deal contracts to be like, um, what, what do we need in the contract? Yeah, fucking A. Yeah. Absolutely. Talk about being comfortable with some uncomfortability. <laughs> yeah, really. But we got it done. We got a book deal that we're very happy about. Excellent. And then you're, you're still doing... Still um, doing Mythic Thunderloot, Thunder, baby. Plug, plug it, bub. Funny enough, we actually, we're recording this coming Monday. I think it's the last episode of season one. So for anybody that does listen, we do Mythic Thunderloot. It's a D&D podcast musical. Uh, it's full-fleshed musical numbers. We play a full game of, of Dungeons & Dragons, although it's not real D&D. It's very stripped down, uh, and it's, it's, it's more just kind of a catalyst to create an episode. There are three original songs in every episode. Uh, I sing. I play the drums. Uh, and it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of professional actors. So It's, it's great. Yeah, check it out. I am a huge, huge fan of it. It is phenomenal. Definitely check out Mythic Thunderloot. Yeah. If you're looking for comedy, fun, good music, Dungeons and Dragons nerdiness. Stupid pothead jokes. It's great. It's a musical for potheads. A horse named Nick Foles. <laughs> hey, there is a, there's a horse named Nick Foles. There's a horse named Tudoroso. There's all kinds of, it's, it's debauchery. All right, so let's talk all things the talisman. Yeah, let's do it. I'll do my best to recap this incredibly bizarre start to this book. Ugh. This is about one character, predominantly Jack. Jack and his mother are on the run from his uncle Morgan. Jack's father has died. Jack's other uncle has died. And presumably they suspect Morgan as the murderer of it. And Jack gets his way to a New Hampshire beach community where he meets this character, a janitor named Speedy, who gives him a purple beverage that when he drinks, he can go into this other world called the Territories. And he calls him Traveling Jack and says that his job is to travel to the west coast of the Territories and retrieve the talisman, pardon me. Jack is only 12 years old. Speedy can only give him so much information. And we learn that Jack's mom is dying of cancer and... Her twin in the territories, the queen, is dying of cancer. Jack bounces back drinking this drink from the territories to the United States. Some things that we learn. The territories are magical in nature. They are not uh, scientific in nature. Uncle Morgan did, in fact, kill Phil because he wanted to possess and control the territories. And the other uncle, I'm blanking on his name, and is probably going to kill Jack if Jack knows about the territories. And in the territories, it's a monarchy medieval fantasy world. The queen has a captain of the guard that helps Jack just a little. When Jack travels in the territories, it almost like doubles the amount of travel time back in the United States. In the United States, as a 12-year-old boy on the road, he encounters a non-ending amount of adversity and challenges from perverts that are trying to molest him to business owners that want to exploit his child labor and beat him. And then there are even these were-goats that seem to have made their way between the worlds and are hunting him in the United States. There's also this second-in-command to Morgan who has a 
personality in the territories that reminds us a lot like the man in Blackmore on that later name, Osmond. And in it, Jack meets a character called Wolf, who is a werewolf. And they follow the book of the gospel of the wolves and the herd, pardon me. And Uncle Morgan almost catches up with Jack in the territories where he is an evil wizard shooting lightning bolts at him and Wolf. And Jack takes the last bit of the purple juice, transfers back to America, and Wolf ain't having a good time in America. <laughs> it's just not a good place for him to be. Not at all. He's struggling with the smells. He's struggling with the technology. Jack tries to take him to the movies. That does not work. Oh. And as they get closer and closer to the full moon, Wolf becomes less and less a man and more and more a wolf, culminating in Jack having to lock himself into a shed while Wolf just goes out and hunts for three days and three nights and returns back in human form and falls asleep. And that's part one. Yeah, I'd say that's it. That's about as much, the best <laughs> recap I can do. Uh, okay, sure. Yeah, th there's so much more that happens. Well, yeah, of course. But like, you know, we're hoping that people read this with us. That's true. You know? Yeah. And so there's our, our recap. So a few things to kick off our discussion. If you've been following us, uh, please, I hope you've been following us from the beginning. Mm -hmm. If you're jumping into Wheel of Con, this is your first episode. We are a Dark Tower podcast, not mm -hmm. a Stephen King podcast. Correct. That means we talk about Stephen King's work through the lens of the Dark Tower. So I hope you have read The Dark Tower, because <laughs> if you haven't, we might say some things that don't make sense. Yeah, but like, what the hell are they talking about? But, so let's talk a little bit about, I know you have some thoughts on the history of this yeah. book. Yeah. It's the first book we've read that Stephen King and Peter Straub have done. It's not just a King book. When did King write this? What, what do you got? Yeah. So again, written by Stephen King and Peter Straub. Uh, Peter Straub is a fellow American horror writer. They're, they're basically considered the top two horror writers in American history, period. Um, it was, the book was nominated for the Locus and World Fantasy Awards in 1985, and it was released in 1984. Uh, there is a sequel called Black House, which was also written by the two of them. Uh, both authors were immensely successful, so there was a lot of anticipation leading up to this book. And in fact, the publisher financed something that was like $550,000 to promote this book in the 80s. Um, so it had a huge promotion budget. Uh, they ran several articles hailing this work as, quote, the greatest horror novel ever written. How it was received, eh, not, not as hot as that. So it, its reception was between fans and critics alike uh, it was mixed. There was no critic out there that, was, that really recommended against it, but they were like, it's, it's good. It's not, it, I think a lot of the struggles were that it, and I think we'll talk about this and the fact that it sounds like King sometimes, it, it sounds like Straub sometimes, it doesn't really, it's not always cohesive, you know, about like who's writing and whose idea, but, but yet, like when you know Stephen King's writing it, you know he's writing it. When you know Peter Straub's writing it, you know he's writing if you're familiar with his work. That is some interesting stuff I did not know. Yeah, yeah. Um, its final sales figures in 94, according to Publishers Weekly, weekly is it sold 880,217 copies. Oh, just that amount. Almost uh -huh. a million. Almost a million. It spent 12 weeks at number one on the New York Times bestseller list with uh, 23 total weeks on the list. And it was adapted, I did not know this, 
It was adapted in 2008 into a short film and a graphic novel similar to The Dark Tower and The Stand. Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. I didn't. I mean, it makes sense. Well, I guess this will lead me then to my next question. I really wanted to talk about where this came out in relation to The Tower so we could link some tower ideas. But I just want to know, did you like part one? Yeah, I did. I did. It's unlike anything we've read yet, I think. It's, you know, I, it feels very classic. You know, we're in, we're in not really time travel, but we're in, <laughs> no pun intended, we're in territory travel. We're going back and forth from world to world, um, which feels very akin to the Dark Tower. Um, there's a lot of references. I think if I, if I hadn't read the dark tower, I think I would be like, Oh, well this is, this is weird. The were goats and like all these references. And I don't know if I would be as invested in it, but I am enjoying it. I love Wolf. Wolf fucking rocks. Um, it's, it's insane to read a book where a, a werewolf has a, a midlife crisis and, and, a, and a complete and emotional and mental break. Um, I but, think Wolf is a phenomenal character. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. I'm I'm enjoying it. I really am. I'm enjoying it. I'm 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 interested to see what happens. I think. I think it's the same trap I fall into with every Stephen King book. Where like halfway through, I'm still like, "What the fu- where the fuck is this gonna go?" Um, but that's what keeps bringing me back. I have some thoughts on on all of those things. I want to ask, what do you think about the melding of the Straub and the King voice? Because this one definitely has a different voice from yeah. other Stephen Kings. You can tell it's not just him. And I'm wondering, how do you think that blending works uh, for you as a huge Dark Tower Stephen King fan? It's jarring. I'm not going to lie. It's a little jarring for me. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think I've ever read another book before that was written by two writers. So it's new. To me, and I think it throws me off because there are just some, there are so many glaring examples. <clears throat> I don't know Peter Straub's work. This is the first thing I've ever read. I've read like one book of his. I can't even remember what it was. Yeah. I remember really liking it, and he's, but it was years ago. And he's pretty fucking famous, yeah. you know. Like, but but uh, but then again, I really only came into horror when we started the Dark Tower, so it's new to me. Um, so it is jarring. I mean, there are sections where it feels very Stephen King. And it almost feels like I'm reading, this is going to, I don't know how you feel about this, but it makes me feel like when Roland tells a story is, is what, it, this feels like a, a tale being told in a certain way. I love that. So this leads me to what I think. I personally think the blending of voices refreshing. I don't find it jarring. I feel like, because so this came out in 1984. Four. So Stephen King had written The Gunslinger and had not even done The Drawing of the Three yet, no. if I recall correctly. Not yet. So the Dark Tower journey had really not even begun right. officially. Mm-hmm. It was just one book. No one knew if there'd be more books. Fans were writing Stephen King saying, hey, is there more to this story? Like he knew, but no, but no one else but knew. no one else knew. Yeah. And I feel like we're seeing the seeds of two different things from King in this, from the King voice side, I can't comment on the Straub voice side because I'm just not qualified to do so. One, this isn't a horror book, it's a fairy tale. Mm. And I think that could be part of the reason there was like a, huh? This is not a book that I think is designed to enact or make you feel senses of horror or terror deep in your soul. 
was Morgan shooting lightning at Wolf and um, Jack really, really hard to read and like, oh my God, yes. And the concept of lycanthropes, like having where people... All things. Yeah. But the structure of this story feels way more like a Germanic fairy tale of the like 17, 18, 1900 variety where a kid just gets ripped from a comfortable life and says, yeah. you got to go out there and navigate the threatening world alone. With it's got no help. It's got the big bad wolf. Yeah. yeah. It's got the crazy uncle. It's uh, so it's got all of these fairy tale ish elements to them that don't feel like horror. Fairy tales are terrifying. Yeah. If you think about what happens in them, but they're not necessarily written to scare a child as much as they're written to be like, don't be like that. Right. When we say don't navigate too far from the farm, right. we say don't go too far from the farm. The world's dangerous out there. And so I feel like part of this structure is much more fairy tale in the way it goes through the story for the part having like a magical character that can pop in at speedy and gives you just enough information yeah. to help you get to point B, yeah. but no additional help like the fairy godmother trope that you know pops up and says, oh, here you are, you, you've got a problem. We'll give you a little magical something, but then they'll leave and yeah. then you won't see them until later. Right. So I feel like it has these fairy tale-ish elements to it that make it not feel like a horror and it makes it feel like it's budding closer into fantasy. And I feel like we're seeing some concepts that King would then continue on as he does the fantasy epic, The Dark Tower. Yeah, and I, I think that's right on because it, it does feel very much where, where it's different than something like Salem's Lot or The Mist, where those are true horror books. You know, and even though you can, there are tower connections there, this, is, this very much feels like, like I said, it feels like Roland telling the story. It feels like this was pulled out of Midworld or, you know what I mean? Just like pulled out of that piece of King's world and it's true, I, I, I always forget the timeline of the Dark Tower because I never really paid attention. Like the timeline of the, when the books were released, mm -hmm. even though I'm the person that does the <laughs> That's okay. uh, history part yeah. of the podcast. <laughs> we don't have to talk about that. But I, I've always found it interesting that, you know, that he does, when it comes to the Tower, it turns into much more like Tolkien-esque than normal King-esque. You know, it does feel more like a fairy tale. Yeah, and I feel like we're seeing that type of writer emerge in The Talisman. I'm also a sucker for a story about a boy that has to go out in the world and prove themselves to become a man. Yeah, fuck yeah. I'm just a, I've always been a sucker we're, for that. We're boys, I dude. always will be a sucker yeah, for and that. I, I think, and, and, and the fact that he has no help, and I do, I, I think I would have looked at this book differently two years ago, before Frankie. I do. You know, I think I would have looked at it sort of like I did when we read it. You know, like, oh, these kids are, they're brilliant. And they're, yeah. look at this journey that they're put on. But now, from a parent's perspective, it's like, man, I, they're heroes. Same with Jack. The fact that he chooses to do this, to save his mother. That's the goal here. We, lest us not forget that. This is to save his fucking mom, dude. It's heavy. It really is. It's heavy. And this poor kid, the whole time I'm thinking during the, the trial of, uh, the, the trial of trials, the, oh God, part two, 
where everything sucks. The trail of trials? Yes, where everything sucks for Jack. Sorry, my brain just melted. Everything does suck. The whole time I'm thinking, please, King, Straub, give this kid an ally. Yep. And I'm like, oh, cool, he's got a werewolf. And that's really hard and awful and makes everything worse for him. But you know, that. But I almost feel like that is your King, that is your Stephen King hero. They're messy. You know, the hero's not going to come in and clean everything up. In fact, we're, we're going to make some messes first. I mean, seriously, like, we're reading a book about a werewolf who has a fucking breakdown. Like, could you imagine just being transported to a, a place where everything smells like death, you know? And cancer. And he cancer? can smell cancer in like, people. And, and what a brilliant way to describe that, though. Mm-hmm. To describe cancer rotting. I mean, I've seen it rot somebody from the inside. And it's such an interesting way to put it that, that Wolf processes that through his smell. Yeah. Brilliant. All right, so let's talk about some Dark Tower connections here. Sure. What are some Tower connections? Uh, granted, this came out before even the second book. Mm-hmm. So I, we can say maybe these are things that Steve drew on when he wrote the Tower. Yeah. But what are some ways that we can relate this story kind of to the universe of Roland and in-world, mid-world, and end-world? I mean, I think what you said right off the bat in the fact that we do have a man in black type character um, in Oswald. Not Oswald. Osmond. Osmond, right. And we have this maniacal, you know, Joker character, if you will, the laugh is there, that, that feeling of, of, of just being sneaky and snide and, and the way they, I always come back to the way that they describe his teeth and how his teeth keep growing every time that Jack sees him. And so, so thinking about that, the where people did kind of remind me of the Tahine. I know they're not the Tahine, but it did remind, same concept, you know, like mm-hmm. we've got these animal people back and forth from different worlds. Um, and I also felt like the, the territories felt a bit like Midworld, you know, like when, like we're in the woods with Shardik, you know, and we're traversing this really beautiful mountainside land. And it, it sort of reminded me of that kingdom. Absolutely. I agree with every one of them, including the one about Osmond. I've got a few. The bar in Oakley really feels like a lot of honky tonks we see in the dark yeah. tower from the yeah. traveler's rest where it's a lawless land where the bartenders are mean and cruel and there's fights and yeah. vomit and sexual misconduct of all type. Jeb's probably there. Cowboys are there, you yeah. know, like actual cowboys go there. So that's one thing that I, oh, I thought was very Dark Tower-esque. The theme of twinning yeah. and twins yeah. and these two mirrored realities having a rooted connection in each other is exactly like the relationship between the multiple worlds we see in the Dark Tower from the idea that songs and music and culture and language can be shared among different dimensions Mm -hmm. to the idea that there is another version of you in this where and when that is your twin. And then obviously in Wolves of the Kala, twins being the theme of that entire, one of the main themes of that entire book, when the forces of the Crimson King are stealing one of every twin child Mm -hmm. to kind of scoop their brains to feed their breakers. Mm -hmm. The talisman itself feels a little like the Dark Tower. No, sure. Yeah, absolutely. This thing that this hero 
this knight needs to find mm -hmm. that they know they need to find and they have to find it, but don't really know what it is or why they need to find it. They just know it's important. They just know that they have to do it. Feels the whole idea of this kid going on a quest for a talisman feels similar to a gunslinger going on a quest for a tower. Yeah. You know, it's kind of MacGuffin-y. If you know that term, it's a term from um, a Hitchcock coined to describe a thing that characters are all wanting and needing that itself means nothing. Um, he did this in the Maltese, Fountain, Maltese Falcon. He called that a MacGuffin. Or you could talk about the Ark of the Covenant in Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade, the Dark Tower. Does it matter what the tower is or does it matter that all the characters want it? Right. What really matters is all the characters want it, very similar to the talisman, sure. I feel like. Um, one other little, like, subtle note here. Oh, my God, did I just delete all my notes? No. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to cut that out. No. No, leave that in? Leave all right. that in. All right. I'm gonna leave. Real time, I, baby. I thought I accidentally deleted all my notes. real life, Derek. I, I literally almost had a panic attack, people. They're <laughs> <laughs> like, where are my notes? We're definitely <laughs> keeping that. Okay, we'll keep it. Yeah, why not? So there's a moment in which Jack is remembering a conversation between his father, Phil, and his uncle, Morgan. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And his uncle, Morgan, is trying to convince Phil that, hey, let's go conquer the territories. And Phil's just like, no, there are consequences. If you mess with one thing in one world, something messes back in the other world. Yep. There was an assassination in the territories, and Phil suggests, this is Jack's father, that this might have caused World War II. Oh, sounds a lot like a book we just read. Uh, 112263? Uh, wow. Where things reverberate. And that's 20-some years later. Or in the Dark Tower, the way that Susanna gets to go to another version of Earth. Yeah. And she gets to meet another version of Eddie, and yeah. he's waiting there for her yeah. with her hot chocolate because the, <sighs> these things echo and reverberate. <sighs> well, there's a just an interesting quote that Phil has to Morgan about urging caution when we think of conquering the territories, and this is page 194 of my copy, quote, that's not the only other world out there, end quote. There are other worlds than these. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. Very similar line. Yeah. Said from one character to another, one character who's willing to kill for what they want, one other character who's a little more innocent, warning that there are other worlds out there. And I'll, and I'll tell you, I really do think that King... That this is intentional. He's, I really do think he's always thinking about the tower. Always. It's evident. I mean, it's not just coincidence that you can relate these things back to that series. Because I'll be honest, there have been a couple times in this project where I've been like, you know, are we stretching? Like, can we really connect every book? And, and so far, the answer really is yes. Absolutely. It really is yes. And I think that's awesome. For fun, I just went and downloaded the audiobook of the first Dark Tower. I just listened to a few mm. chapters of it. And I forgot that the theme of 19 is immediate in chapter one. Immediate. The Tahin, El Gociento is all mentioned. Of all of it. All of these things are mentioned that will come back. Yeah. And there is, as a, as a writer who is known to not care about plot, but to care about character and situation... Damn, does that man know how to connect some dots. Well, and that's why sometimes, you know, the criticism that he, he gives himself, you have to think, like, you know, you do just sound like an artist. You sound like a person who doesn't have the utmost confidence in themselves. And in that, in that he says, and we've talked about this, like, yeah, 
in a lot of the things, plot doesn't matter, but there is one through line through everything, and that does connect to the tower. So there, there is some, some part of his brain is thinking about it. And whether he's conscious of it or not, whether it began or it, whether it be him, it's present. Absolutely. Yeah. I completely agree with that. All right, so lots of Dark Tower references um, and Easter eggs. We probably missed some. So tell us if tell if, us if we did. If we did, we did. Please let us know because they're this this book like like eleven twenty two sixty three. I feel like the soul of the tower is in it. Mm-hmm. I agree. I do. Or maybe the soul of the talisman lives in the tower. Well, what's interesting? What's interesting that you say this because I think Black House the uh, the sequel was written, I, I don't know if this is true, but it's either around the time the Dark Tower ended or after it. And that the sequel is heavily, heavily influenced by the Dark Tower. Right. So it's, and, and, and another, oh, I didn't share this earlier, but just kind of a, a tidbit on the history as we're talking about. There was supposed to be a third book. It was supposed to be a trilogy. But Peter Strahov got to the point where he felt like he was a little too old. And he's quoted saying that, like, I just couldn't keep up with Stephen anymore. There's just, I, that's why there's not a third book. Stephen King is a machine, dude. He is, dude. He's just a machine. Ten pages a day. Still. It's crazy. He doesn't have to do that. No. He doesn't have to fucking write another word for the rest of his life. But that's, that's the thing. That's not why he does it. He just is the wordslinger. Yeah. He just is. He is, man. That is just so impressive. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So tell me, where do you think this book is? Where do you think we're at for these characters? Sure. And where do you see this story going? Well, I think we're at a pretty, we're either at or near a pretty big climax. I mean, Morgan Sloat coming through and basically causing fucking thunderstruck. You ever hear that ACDC song? Oh, I've, like, I know it. That's exactly what I thought was playing. <laughs> While he was fucking striking down his nephew. Um, I think we're at a precipice here where we're going to spend a little bit, where we'll, you know, I think a few more big moments are going to happen. I'm hoping that we'll get a little bit more clarity on the talisman. Just a little bit more in, in the coming chapters here. Um, it was really interesting to see Wolf again have his panic attack breakdown. But I, I, I mean, my biggest question is when he ran out of the juice, like, where do we go from here? And, and if you think about it, Jack broke a fundamental rule. Jack bringing Wolf back is kind of fucked up. Right? Like, of course Wolf re- reacted that way. Of course he did. What the fuck? Could you imagine? Imagine showing up in the territories and be like, okay, whoa, whoa, where am I? I'm hallucinating. That's what, I just drank fermented, like old, terrible grape juice. I'm tripping balls right now. I mean, there's a chance that Jack is insane. Right, there that is. could be an interpretation. I mean, there movie. is. There's a, there's a, Jack, I mean. Jack wonders himself. Like, am I going fucking crazy? Yeah. And I don't blame it. You know, there is a really strange air to all of the dialogue in the book. That's another thing. There's not a lot of dialogue in this book. That's very unusual for Stephen King. Most of Stephen King's dialogue. It's very active where I feel like we're, instead of us being an active participant in the story, that we're a, a, a truly a spectator. 
that we're an audience member watching this happen. Because I want to help Jack. Like, I find myself, I don't know about you. Oh, yeah, man. He's in some, he's in way over his head. I mean, and, and my just, heart breaks for this kid. I just character. want to hug this kid. Yeah. Like, dude, it's, it's okay. It's going to be all right. There's the one, but it might not be. There's the one scene where a guy picks him up who's just like, okay, this, this kid's story is total BS. He's in way over his head. He needs trouble. He needs a meal. And he's just like, why don't you come back to my house? We know how to feed boys. Yeah. And I'm like, Jack, go get a meal and a soft bed. But you know, Jack doesn't consider himself a boy. And that's where he's like, nah, man, my, my mom's dying. Which he's very much like Jake. Yeah. In the fact They're, that he is. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I see them. They're pretty interchangeable. Minus the I really, age. I really feel like they're very similar characters you know, in the way they're so brave and strong despite being so young. But there's also part of me that says, and he knows anyone that he interacts with on a long period of time could be put in danger. Yeah. And so he makes the choice to be like, I won't take a bed and a meal for a night. Yeah. And I'm going to take my chances on yeah. the road. Yeah. And I'm just like, I admire this character. I really like how Jack thinks about and is tempted to ditch Wolf in America. Mm -hmm. And this to me is a very Stephen King thing. The heroes are allowed to be and feel weak. Yeah, and human. And that is what a human being in his scenario will think like. And he decides, despite that, no, I can't abandon Wolf here. It'd be wrong. Yeah, it's and my fault that he's here. That's what makes him heroic to me. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, he took responsibility for his action. And that's where he becomes, I, I, that, in that moment, to me, he goes from being a boy, honestly, into a man. He's already four. I mean, I mean, this kid's been through some pretty intense shit. That's the other thing about this book. The stuff in the territories is real fantastic. It's real colorful. It's very bright. It's very intense. It's a little comical. It almost reminds me a little of like Hyrule, you know, all the Legend of Zelda stuff. Yeah, it feels like you're in Legend it, of Zelda. It does, you know, and then, and then we come to America and it feels like, Jesus Christ, we're in like fucking Mayor of Easttown. Like this shit is dark and America gritty. America sucks. Like, dude, boys are just getting fucking molested on the, on the road. That's what's happening. And you really, like, you're like, man, that would be a really tough road to send a kid on. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. I feel for him. There's one moment in there, and it's right before, I think it's, yeah, it's right before he meets Wolf, and he's walking through the territories, and it's just beautiful and perfect, and he sees a tower. Yeah. And then <laughs> he sees the tower, and he sees some flying men. Yeah. And he's got this moment of peace and tranquility for the first time in this entire narrative. Oh, yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And he is sitting there thinking to himself, he reminds himself about watching ballet um, dancers learn ballet, and he focuses in on their muscles and how hard they worked and how all of that effort is, gets into producing something that looks so flawless and beautiful. Yeah. And he wonders if it's the same for these flying men. And I feel like that's a precipice moment for him. That's him like connecting to the soul of the territories and letting the territories rejuvenate him yeah. and letting him think there is beauty, but beauty is caused and created through pain and sacrifice. Mm. 
And I feel like that's the turning point. And then the story picks up. Morgan comes. He brings back Wolf. Um, you mentioned something, too, that I wanted to circle back to as well. He doesn't have any of the juice left. I get the sense that Jack has the power to get there on his own, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to feel that way. He almost does it with Wolf right. at one point. He just um, hasn't unlocked it yet. And, they, and Speedy calls him Traveling Jack. Yeah. He had been to the territories before. We don't his, know how or why. His dad calls him that too, doesn't he? His dad called him Traveling Jack. Yeah. It's another Stephen King thing. The unlocking of repressed memory. Yeah. Is a theme that exists in the Dark Tower. It's and, in it. It's and in, it's, in the and, it's, and it's usually around a parent. Mm-hmm. It's typically around a parent. And I feel like in Jack's memories, we're going to see more answers. Yeah. To some of these questions and some of these problems. Well, we also see a lot of Jack in his father. There's a lot of him, which we, which typically in the father-son relationships in Stephen King books are not always. They're not always that positive. They're not usually great. <laughs> not usually great. <laughs> they're usually bad. And I feel like I feel like you know Phil Sawyer is a really genuine human. Now we don't know very much about him, you know, but it does. I mean, but then again, grandiose visions of saving, you know, a a, a world that's not your own. There's some positive and negative to that. I would think. I agree. Another thought I had too. Let me hit you with this. Mm-hmm. So we have the presumed, the presumed like prince, the son of the queen of the territories mm-hmm. and the son of the queen in America, the mm-hmm. queen of cinema. We have a father that gets murdered by an uncle. We have a broody 12-year-old boy. Oh, are you talking about a Hamlet? On the precipice are you of madness this is and strength. Yeah. Are we reading another, a version of Hamlet? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yes. And I wouldn't be surprised. We talked about this. Like, King loves to honor the writers that inspired him as a writer. We've talked about all of the Tolkien references. We've talked about the J.K. Rowling references and Harry Potter. I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I wouldn't put it past King to have thought about that. I feel like we've got a little bit of Hamlet in this. Sure. Jack is a little depressed and... You know, the difference between Jack and Hamlet is Jack can act. Hamlet, yeah. Hamlet like over-philosophizes yeah. and, and gets caught in, in inaction a lot. A and lot Jack, of woe is me. Yeah, but Jack does have a lot of woe is me. And he that's does. why that's why I needed that part where he saw the tower and the flying men mm-hmm. and he thought about ballet mm-hmm. and he has this like this inner call to beauty that the territories helped to rejuvenate his spirit that was really essential for me being like, yes, Jack, you have something to fight for, and that's the beauty of both these worlds. Can I ask you a question I don't think I've ever posed? Sure. You know, obviously, this book is centered around a 12-year-old boy. A lot of the books that we've read are centered around children. Why do you think Stephen King chooses to represent some of his wisest and some of his most interesting characters as children? And then you have Jake in The Dark Tower... I mean, the entire Losers Club. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's Danny the, Torrance. Yeah, and what's the boy's name in the um, in Salem's Lot again? Isn't there a young boy? Ben Mears is ben, the author. Yeah. Uh, the boy's name, I am blanking I on. I blank on, but... Gosh, but you know, but, we're such frauds. Uh, it's been a long... I remember like Ben Mears. since we read that, buddy. I remember Ben Mears. Uh, yes, but there is another boy character who helps Ben 
um, defeat and destroy all the vampires. So, like, what, what, what do you think? Because there's a lot of kids in in Stephen King's books. I think it's a fair question. I don't necessarily have a precise answer. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that I think King is into investigating trauma and the effects of trauma. And it is far too often true children bear the brunt of trauma more than they should in the human experience. Yeah, I agree. And I think part of it is, um, you know, it, for example, these children experience a trauma that gets completely repressed so much so that it manifests again. Mm -hmm. And that's a metaphor about how we become adults and we forget what it's like to be kids. Jake Chambers, I think, is the quintessential child hero. Mm -hmm. I think King also believes that children are awesome Mm -hmm. and capable of great and amazing things. I would agree. I do think that sometimes, and King tells us this in so many of his books, stop overthinking me. It's not that deep. Yeah, I mean, he basically tells us not to do what we do. In, in It, he has a whole <laughs> bit of being like, stop overthinking the yep. books, people. Yep. yep, They're not that deep, you know? I'm just a writer. Yeah. And, you know, he says that all the time in The Dark Tower when he writes himself as a character. Mm-hmm. I think if we take it on the most surface level, I think King thinks children are amazing yeah. and powerful. They are. And can do um, phenomenal things. So I think there is a respect for children there. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I, I definitely think he is investigating the worst parts of humanity. And is there anything worse than a human abusing a child? No. And that is about as bad as it gets. Yeah. So when Steve wants to delve into the darkest of the dark, the most primal fears... It's usually are, around children. Are youth art safe? Yeah. Your children's not safe. Yeah. There are monsters that will eat your children alive if you let them. Um, there are people out there that would sacrifice your children's healthy and safety and development for their own gain. Mm-hmm. There are people out there that will sexualize the children mm-hmm. and you know try to molest them. All of these like deep, deep primal fears that we as adults have, he puts into his books because... I think, quite frankly, he knows that's going to work. Sure. That's going to make us be yeah. like, oh, my God, this child has to mop up vomit while looking at a monster penis. Uh, yeah. While being hunted by a were-goat, and the owner says uh, the, that monster penis is a molester of children and also a cop, so do what I say or I'll send him after you. Yeah. And you're like, could this be any worse? No. And I think... If you're trying to push the envelope to the most primal fear, it's always the fear around the children. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of it. But I think the other side to it that I think is that he thinks children make great heroes because they are the least fucked up. They are the least um, cynical. Mm-hmm. They are brave and they are actually pure. And I think that that matters to him as well. Yeah, I would agree. What are your thoughts? No, I, 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 I think very... Similar. I, I, I do also think that um, on the flip side that children are the most susceptible to being taken advantage of. And I think he does examine the underbelly of America through a child's eyes. And the one thing that I do appreciate is that he obviously respects children. 
he does think that they're more capable of um, emotional structures and boundaries and being able to think independently and make choices based on their experience, even though it's limited. Um, I, it works for me, man. It worked for me before being a parent. Certainly works for me being a parent. Um, because, you know, I mean, it, it, look, I mean, looking at a 17-month-old every day, she makes braver choices than I do. You know, by, like, just choosing to do something new is totally brave. And, and embracing it and just doing it with a, an amount of en energy that I don't think I could ever muster just to try something new. And I also think that there's something to say about a child's, um, the fact that they don't have cynicism, that cynicism is not built into us as human beings, like racism, like prejudice, like um, chauvinism, it's learned and it's taught. And I think what King strives to do is like, you know, before we do get pulled into that undertow of adulthood, before we give up hope and dreams and, and, and color. Like, think about that as an adult. Think about how much color there is in your life now because you have a two-year-old. And as adults, I mean, we live in blacks and grays and navies and fucking business colors and khaki. And all of that to say that, like, kids equal wonder. Children equal the, the hope. They equal this, this, this unending sense that we can fucking do whatever we want. And I'll tell you right now, my 17-month-old thinks she can do everything. And she, and she fully believes it. <laughs> she fully believes it. And only a 12-year-old could be <coughs> initiated into this fairy tale horror reality and be able to navigate it without completely breaking down and unabashedly say yes because i need to save my mother and i don't care about anything else i will risk it all and this character jack is so brave is so pure and is so smart oh yeah and savvy oh, yeah. and learns how to navigate this dual reality and this dual reality between the reality between him and the territories mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but even in those realities having to take on different roles at different times so that sometimes it's just like, how am I going to get a pair of shoes today? To he, how's does money work in the territories? There's this moment where he figures out that, you know, I have to tell this story to get myself to the places that I need to be. And I need to remember the specifics of the story. And I remember there's one point where he starts to trip up because he's just tired. And, his, and, he, and he remember he says to himself, I can never find myself in that situation again. Never. I have to be perfect. And that's a lot to put on a 12-year-old, man. Oh, I've got to figure out how to deal with this actual <laughs> werewolf. Yeah, and fucking were-goats. And one, then my uncle's trying to kill me with magic. On one side note, there's this one little bit, I don't know if you picked it up, when Wolf is going on the hunt, mm -hmm. and they're describing the hunt, and that... He found certain places that he would not kill. Yeah. These certain places that radiated with this ancient energy that is like this place right here is hollowed ground mm. and I will not kill another animal while it's on there. 
felt very much dark tower-ish. Sure. Where there are certain places with certain energy, good and ill. Like there's the rings where the demons are, yeah. but then there's the lot where the rose is. I was is, just going to say the lot, exactly. Where something like radiates there that is just unendingly good that you cannot penetrate, that uh, just an instinctual creature such as wolf will, will smell, will seal, will feel that vibration, will be like, I don't hunt over there. Yeah. And I thought that was a really cool um, kingism that we have seen before, that mm. there are certain places where your senses are just a little heightened, yeah. where reality is a little realer, but a little thinner, yeah. and you're not, you're, you're gonna just be inclined to your better angels, where a wolf will give mercy to its prey. Right. You know, like that is a thing that can exist naturally in this America. Presumably this would happen in the territories as well. Mm -hmm. That I thought was a really cool, interesting moment that they just kind of gl glance over it. I'm like, I said Dark Tower, so I'm like, oh, I get that. Oh, sure, sure. Now, where do you think this story is going? What do you, do you have any predictions? <sighs> Listen, we've, do, we've done a lot of predictions for King things. <sighs> when we have read a book halfway or like a quarter way, <laughs> generally speaking, we don't have a good track record. No, we're usually pretty wrong. We usually get it. it all wrong. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't see the fact that there's a sequel, not knowing anything about it tells me that, that I do think Jack survives. I do think he makes it through. Uh, what does that mean? I have, I have no idea. I mean, it seems pretty dire for him right now. Morgan's power in, in, in the territories is great. It doesn't seem as great in our world. But it seems, he seems pretty powerful in the territories. And so Jack's going to have to navigate that. I would say this about his power in our world. It's not magical, but he found Jack really quickly. Yeah, He's got true. a lot of money. He's got a lot of a connections. A lot of resources. He's like a mafiosa. I mean, he's essentially a West Coast gangster. Yeah. Um, in not in the like '90s hip hop sense, but in the like, I live in the West Coast and I break all the rules to make money and, and have power. <laughs> I had to clarify that. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I don't know how many '90s uh, hip hop. Oh, we fans probably have we a. Have. Oh, we have probably have a. There are probably a ton of Stephen King fans. You you underestimate how popular Ish. that music was. I don't you know, underestimate that at all. That. Yeah, there's a lot of fans <laughs> of that show. A lot of that music's amazing. It is. I agree. But, but I say that God, was the whitest thing ever that I just did. <laughs> <laughs> it really was. You're not wrong. It was such a wide uh, white boy. Fine. That's so bad. Don't uh, worry about. It. They, they know. I am what I am. Our <laughs> name's Derek and Steve. They yeah, know. You know, I am a white boy. But you know, <laughs> um, I. Oh gosh, what was my point? No, I do think. Don't underestimate Morgan's powers. Yeah. In the real world. Yeah, that's or true. In, or in the America world. They just don't say. seem so fantastical because they're he, not. Yeah, he can't shoot lightning from yeah. his hands. But he can't. Yeah, well, you're true. He can track him down pretty quickly. Yeah. It's dangerous. Yeah, I mean, his diligence. And he I does love have that. fucking wear goats. His diligence. Yeah, that's. That they called his caravan of miscourts and usurpers the yeah. diligence. That's I thought insane. that was just brilliant writing. Oh, yeah. I'm just like, that's a great way to describe that. Anyway, um, I definitely. I definitely think Jack wins mm -hmm. and gets the talisman, mm -hmm. but there's got to be some kind of a twist in there. Oh, sure. That maybe he gets it, but it's not enough time to keep, to save his mom. Yeah. Um, maybe he gets it and Morgan zapped the power out of it. Yeah. And he defeats Morgan 
from taking over the territories, but... But everything's useless. But it doesn't save his... Like, I definitely think the way this book is going, Jack is going to return home better, more powerful, changed, but not getting everything. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it's Stephen King. He every, every book he writes is so goddamn tragic. Oh, yeah. You know, like, I can't see it working out well, well for Jack. You know, life is fucking tragic, man. It is... It's life is suffering in a certain way. It is. How do you feel about the character Speedy? Well, it's a trope. Uh, I will. I will use the term since we are white people as the magical black man. Uh, it's very typical. It happens a lot, not only in Stephen King's writing, but it is a trope for a lot of twentieth and twenty first century white, uh, mostly male writers. Um. It's I'm in not, cinema too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Dick Halloran is is the same trope. It's the exact same trope. Um, I would say with Dick Halloran, let's be. I think we should flesh that out. There sure. is literature and discourse around a character who has magical powers, who's a character of color, mm -hmm. whose job it is to help and aid the non-magical white character. Correct. And there's literature out there. I'm not going to pretend to be an expert of it. I've mm -hmm. dabbled. I've, I know of it. I've seen it. Um, there's a really funny Kean Peel yes, sketch there is. about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, you know, that you can go and find on YouTube that's really funny, that kind of succinctly summarizes it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I do think Speedy falls into that category worse than Dick in, 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 in for sure. this one reason. Speedy is simply just this magical character who pops up, who gives Jack what he needs, yeah. and then he disappears. Yeah, and, and he doesn't, you know, and, and, and if he does come back, it's very, it's tertiary. There's not a lot, like, he's not directly involved in saving Jack or really helping him moving forward. I don't, I, don't, I think it's unnecessary. He doesn't really need to be there. And compared to Dick Halloran, Dick Halloran, at least we get chapters from his perspective sure and you know at least we we get to know his thoughts and feelings and emotions and motivations yeah he's not just a stereotype uh speedy we get nothing we now at the end of the book we may learn more right and we could change the way we feel about it but i did kind of notice i'm like yeah this this character who's designed to just be like here's your magic juice later yeah Oh, hey, you're in this mall and you just got shoes. You don't know what to do. Don't worry. You didn't actually kill people. Wink. And I'm like, mm. it's just not, it's unnecessary. And we say this in 2023, having the luxury of hindsight. If we had read this in 1984, well, I would have been three. So I probably yeah. wouldn't have read it. But I don't know. Even then, it seems like a little late in time to continue with that trope. Don't you think? I don't know how much discourse there was then versus now around it. Yeah. I honestly just don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure, saying sure. there was more. I mean, or less. I wasn't even born yet, so. Yeah, I was three. <laughs> so, it, you know, um, I, I, I think it's worth mentioning that I hope to see maybe this character do and be more. Yeah. Rather sure. than just this sort of magical black man who yeah. gives a magic juice or a pat in the hat and then goes away. Be. Yeah, I you know, agree. and I do think that's kind of a, a trope, in particular, of white writers. Oh, and it's unfortunate. I mean, and it's and in this in this example, it's glaring. 
It is, especially reading now. Yeah, right. Having known about that trope and written or not written, read a little bit about it, um, was just like, oh, this is a pretty textbook example so yeah. far. Oh, yeah. Of the magical black man yeah. helping the white kid on his journey into magic land. Yeah, exactly. And, not- and it is, I mean, it's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Like, it is uncomfortable to read. Like, we have to realize, like, okay, yes, it was written in a different time, but still, I'm reading it in 2023. I can't ignore that reality. Yeah. You know? And, and you know, there are plenty of examples of tropes, and they exist for a reason, because sure. audiences tend to like them, so that's why they exist. But this is one where I'm like, nah, was it needed? Should it be there? Did it really? Like, especially if we come to find out that Jack has the ability to transport back and forth between the territories without it. Mm-hmm. Like, if that was the point, then why didn't we just have him discover that? That would have been far more interesting. Or have Speedy actually help him. Yeah, be, exa- be an involved character. And, and a character we could maybe get some point of view. So almost every... So it's written third person, mm-hmm. but almost every chapter is from Jack's point of view. Mm-hmm. And then we've had a few interludes from Morgan's point of view. Right. Well, give me something from Speedy's. Yeah. Let me see, like, why does Speedy exist? What is Speedy doing? What's Speedy's motivation? Well, and I've also forgot about him. You know, which is also why it's a trope as well, because it's like, oh, well, oh, right, Speedy, that guy that gave him the juice. You know, like, other than that, or the random guitar player, you know, who may or may not be Speedy. Oh, it was definitely Speedy. Yeah, I thought so. All right, I thought so, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, but that's the thing, it just, it perpetuates that trope. Yeah, and makes the trope a little worse. He's a musician, though his dialogue Ugh. very much feels like a white man trying to write black yeah, man we, dialogue. We have got to stop doing that shit. Get, get a black person as an editor. Fucking yeah, To help you. Like, if you... Like, get, if, like, bring some people into the process to be like, no human being would reasonably sound this way. At all. Like, have you ever met a person that sounded like that? At well, and this is where for most of the answer to that question is no. And that's why it sticks out yeah. in this one. I agree. Yeah, it feels a little hollow. I thought it's worth us mentioning. We could feel very differently by the end of the book. Sure, sure. Who knows where it's going? I still really enjoy this book. But I think it's worth when you encounter stereotypes and tropes that have been identified by the people that get stereotyped yeah. by them yeah. as problematic. I kind of feel like our duty as the two most baseball-watching, normal, you know, straight white men in yeah. the world, because yeah. that's what we are, say like, hey, we heard these tropes too, and we're doing the work, and we don't think it's okay. And they're fucking wrong. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Great, man. What else you got? What else you want to talk about? Nothing. I don't have any. Just scan my notes because I like, have we've a lot of them. We've got the second half of this book to read. I am so excited to read the second half oh, of this dude, book. Oh, me too. Starting in the morning. I mean, yeah, starting tomorrow morning. Done. I have really enjoyed it. It is a fantastical, interesting, different book that reminds me so much about why I love The Dark Tower. Mm-hmm. You know, like 112263, which is a brilliant book. Ugh had some of the elements of things that are very Dark Tower-ish. It was clearly in the Stephen King universe where yeah. the Dark Tower existed. This one, I feel like, has the soul of the tower. Yeah, It's I would a agree fantasy, horror, fairy tale, yeah. dystopian-ish you know, book that just feels very Tower-ish I to me. I completely agree. 
All right. Well, well, long days and pleasant nights. Long days and pleasant nights. <laughs>